Welcome to the fifth episode of Libnani with Eli. Khalil Gibran once said, You give but little when you give of your possessions. It is when you give of yourself that you truly give. My special guest on today's show embodies this very quality on giving to her family, her friends, and anybody who crosses her path. With a podcast show like this that focuses on the positive contributions made by Lebanese people in whatever shape or form that may be, I wanted to take this opportunity to shine a light on the very person who lights up every room she steps into, a person who has been a bright light in my life. She recently came back from a five-day trip to Lebanon to reconnect with her Lebanese roots and produced a video on YouTube of her experience there. I can't wait to talk with her about her trip and all things Lebanese. It is my honor to welcome my cousin, the wonderful Rebecca Melham. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Hi, Ellie. Thank you so much for having me and for that beautiful introduction. It's amazing to be here with you. It's my pleasure to be with you and I had to get you on the show. There's so much to discuss. There's so many things to talk about. But to start with, I want to ask you, what is your special connection to Lebanon? So you will know that my dad is Lebanese. He was born and raised in Australia to Lebanese immigrants that came from Bahalion, which is a small town in the north of Lebanon. And for many years, this culture, even though I'd never been to Lebanon, it had such an impact on me growing up in Australia. Because my dad's family are a very big family, you know, for every birthday celebration, the Easter's, the Christmases, everything, we would have a big Lebanese feast. And I felt so connected because it was as if the values that my grandparents brought over from their country were instilled in myself and my siblings from a very young age. So I'd always felt very connected to it, had always wanted to go and explore the country. And thankfully, last week, we did a lot of planning and research and all of the stars aligned for my partner, Vincent, and I to go over to Lebanon for the very first time. What's amazing for me is that despite all the remarks and despite all the media <laughs> representations of Lebanon, you had the courage, you had the strength to fight through it all to say, no, you know what? I want to go there and it doesn't matter what time it is. Where did you get that passion from to go to Lebanon at this very moment? I suppose because you see with coronavirus, the borders are opening and closing all the time. Many people have unfortunately lost their lives in the past year and a half due to this pandemic. And I think it's evident that anything can happen tomorrow. So when you have a desire that's been burning from within for a very long time, and an opportunity presents itself as it did for myself and Vincent. I mean, we're living in France, the borders are open, we're vaccinated, we can go and travel. Why would we not go during this time? And of course, there were some people who thought she must be crazy. Why is she going now? There's a crisis that's ongoing in Lebanon and it's not in the best state as a country overall. But if anything, I think that now is one of the best and most meaningful times to go because you can go over there you can bring them things that they don't have access to on the ground at the moment. And you can share a really, really beautiful moment with them during this time. And you would have a very layered perspective of social impact and humanitarian aid since you have a master's in international law yourself. 
it would have been a very interesting perspective to see Lebanon from your eyes. What were the things that you saw, you witnessed, and what strategies or changes would you implement drawing from your background in international law? As we landed in Lebanon, my dad's cousin kindly picked us up from the airport and then we were on the road driving from Beirut up to Bahalion. And what struck me was the amount of cars that were lined up at petrol stations in order to secure whatever they needed for their cars. That was heartbreaking. I'd seen these things on social media. I questioned if it was really the case. And I can confirm that it's true. There are people who have been working for decades of their lives and now they can't even get petrol for their vehicles. They are waiting overnight. Some of them are actually going to sleep at the petrol station because they can't get gas. That's the first thing I noticed. And then obviously our experience was very intimate because we were with my family. So I got to learn more about what's happening and get down to a very personal level with some of the Lebanese citizens. I can report back that food prices have absolutely skyrocketed. Things are much more expensive than what they used to be. Medication is also very hard to find, especially if you're searching for prescription medication and it's hard to bring in from overseas. And something I learned, the houses in Lebanon don't really have addresses. So even if they're trying to order something online, I think it would be a logistical nightmare. I think a lot of this stems from the corruption of the government and what we saw occur last year, the explosion at the Beirut port is really just a symptom of a much bigger issue. So what we're seeing today are side effects of this. And it's kind of hard because the government in Lebanon, it's very elitist and the circle is quite closed. But I think in order for Lebanon to progress as a country and for things to get back to how they were, the government need to start involving people, citizens at the complete opposite end of the spectrum to hear about the issues that are happening right now. I mean, we heard a minister, I think it was the health minister come out the other day saying that babies don't need diapers. are we hearing this right now so when you have someone like that that's a minister of a government what hope do you have so it starts with connecting these two very different groups in society together I think it also helps when the media can highlight these issues and put intense pressure but I also want to say that I've been seeing so many amazing not-for-profits in Lebanon doing the hard work And this is something that's only going to blow up. I love how much attention they're getting. And I think people know that this money that they're donating to the Red Cross and Impact Lebanon, organizations like this, it has a higher chance of getting directly to the people who need it. It's sad when we have these drawbacks, these hardships, and people who don't allow for those things to happen and don't allow for those things to grow. So I think what you said about those strategies are necessary for people to continue to work towards to improve the country and its state. Now to put the negative stuff to the side and talk about the positive. I know that you had an incredible time from the conversations that we had. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you from your perspective, because you are half Australian, half Lebanese. What was your experience like tracing back the roots of your father It was a very emotional journey and I still feel very emotional about it all. It sounds very cheesy and maybe a bit over the top, but I mean it when I say that this has been a life-changing experience. I mean, to go back to where it all started for my grandparents before they migrated to Australia, how fantastic is that? That's priceless. 
I can't describe in words how meaningful it's been for me, but something that was necessary for me to do. As I mentioned to you earlier in the interview, Lebanese culture has been influential over my life since the day I was born. But you always feel like a piece of you is missing until you can go back to where your grandparents came from, where they worked hard before they came to Australia and continued working hard to raise my dad and my aunties and uncles, you know? How can you continue going forward if you don't really know where it all started for those who came before you? The photos, the videos, they looked amazing. And I was just taking a a quick look at the video on YouTube and I see overnight there's been over 1,000 viewers. Clearly, it's an incredible video and I enjoyed (laughs) it thoroughly. I actually got the quote from Khalil Gibran at the beginning of this interview from Rebecca's production. And it was just a beautiful, raw video that I will add the link for viewers and listeners to watch. I guess there was an expectation that you had of Lebanon. And then you arrived to Lebanon and you were immersed in the reality of it. What was the biggest thing that surprised you? I tried to not go in with expectations, but you can't help but not go in with expectations. I had spoken to you a lot before we went over and obviously you've been to Lebanon many times and you shared with me very rightly so how beautiful the country is. So from speaking with you, I always knew deep down that it was going to be a beautiful experience no matter what, but I questioned how it would be because of this crisis and the economic problems that people are going through. I suppose Something that shocked me, obviously the negative things I shared at the start, they shocked me, but what was, shouldn't have been a surprise, but just how hospitable the people are. I've never had this anywhere in the world where I've traveled and I've traveled to a few countries now. Lebanese people, I can't, I can't describe them in words, but you feel as if you, you've known them for your whole life and there's no awkward moments. You introduce yourselves, you get on with it, you share stories that might with some other people take years to be able to get to the point of feeling comfortable to share. Absolutely. I think the openness was the most warming. And that's why I felt very sad to leave because in Australia, and you live in Australia too, so you know, I'm sure you know where I'm coming from. It's hard to form those connections with people. Even in France, I've lived in Japan and I've never felt that close to people. But within five days in Lebanon, All of our family and I and Vincent, we had this amazing bond and we were in tears at the end when we had to say our goodbyes. It was it was heartbreaking. It was like something out of a film. So this was the the most beautiful thing that was a shock to me, even though it really it shouldn't have been a shock because we know how beautiful Lebanese people are. It's funny how you said it feels like it comes out of a movie. It always feels like a movie scene, particularly at the airport when family greet you and then they have to farewell. It's one big drama. And um, <laughs> and that's what I love, those moments that are so special and that we don't really see in other cultures. Uh, for example, there are some cultures that are more individualistic and they're not too focused on that family environment. Now, some would say there's too much of a focus on family and personal space just doesn't exist. But it's really heartwarming. It's a really heartwarming experience, this Lebanese filial piety. It's where there is these strong connections, this value of family and protecting family and looking after family. This was your first time going to Lebanon. And you didn't have much communication with the family members that were in Lebanon before this trip. How were you received? How would you describe it? 
the experience was incredible. Everyone was so welcoming with us. And actually, we had planned to stay in another house, Ellie, you know, by ourselves. And then we had planned to visit the family every single day, right? Because they were just a 30-minute walk away, which is nothing for us. We love walking. Uh, But we arrived up. Yeah, when we arrived, our cousin was very, very forceful and assured us that we will not be staying at that house. We are staying with him and his wife. And from then on, it was just family, like you said, for the whole time. But it wasn't so overwhelming or invasive. It was beautiful for those days. We were received very well. So we ended up staying with our cousins. And what an experience They're so beautiful. They cooked for us meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Our cousin who was looking after us, he took us for morning walks every day. He was like a tour guide. He pointed out the sites to see in Bahalion. He took us to the Cedars of God, to the Khalil Gibran Museum, to the place where Sanchabel was born. He took us to all of the relatives' house to, you know, introduce us and do the Wajbet, as they say. Yes. So... We were received very, very well. And every house we went to, it was as if their arms were open. There were fresh grapes, fresh figs on the table to go at all times. The one thing I liked as well, there were no phones. I didn't see many phones. People don't use these at the dinner table or when there are guests. People are there with you. They're present. They're looking at you in the eyes. They don't feel nervous or shy or awkward because they don't have their phone near them. It was beautiful. It was like being a kid again, you know, before technology evolved especially going to those villages, you sort of feel like you're time traveling back to the past before technology existed and before all of those things that we are so dependent on today. I think it's necessary to be able to disconnect from the rush of the world that we live in. And I think the best place to do that is, I'm going to be biased, but our villages in Lebanon. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't agree with you more, Ali. And you know what struck me is that these people are happy. They're often happier than we are. You know, over here, when we have a new phone that's released or a new laptop, a new gadget, new clothes for the the summer season, we have to be the first ones that have it. But over there, they're not like this. Yet they have the biggest smiles on their faces. They're content with who they are. They're happy with the simple things. And in relation to the family, yes, they do take very good care of their families. This was something that I had experienced in Australia with my own family to an extent, but not to the extent that it is like in Lebanon. So I think it's really beautiful how you get to a certain age, but you don't kick your parents out. Actually, no, they stay with you and you look after them because in most cases, I can't speak for everyone, but in a lot of cases, it's thanks to the parents that kids are able to have food and receive an education and grow up and become who they are. Without your parents, I mean, what do you have? So to see this return, especially to the elders, it was beautiful. And it made me think for a minute about how our Western behaviors influence our relationships with our parents, not in all circumstances, but in some. And just as important as family is food. Food is something that also unites everyone together. And knowing you being a food aficionado, being an expert and and an incredible cook. You guys, Rebecca is an incredible cook. She makes knefe like nobody else. (laughs) I don't know about that. Only the truth. (laughs) How important is food in the Lebanese community? And from your view, how did it bring everyone together? 
Food is like the bread and butter of the Lebanese culture. Not a day goes by where you don't have a beautiful meal and sit down at the table without the phone, without the TV and eat together with your family. This was a beautiful thing to experience. I had experienced it in Australia, but in Lebanon, I was really surprised, especially in the village. Everyone has their own garden. They're growing things like tomatoes, figs, olives, peaches, parsley, mint, spring onions, you name it, it's there. They're making the most out of all of the resources they have. And because there are no chemicals on the foods, they taste like they are from the heavens above. I can't describe to you how good the food was. The significance is further, it's bigger. It brings people together. Everyone gets excited to have a good meal. And you can just see in the chef's eyes when they see their family enjoying the meal, how much joy it brings them. They don't mind spending hours in the kitchen. They get up early to prepare everything. And as we know, Lebanese food, it's not a a quick meal. You don't just put it on the stove and it's done in two minutes. These meals take hours and a lot of hard work to prepare. And then they're demolished within a few minutes. But (laughs) (laughs) it's a, a special occasion for everyone. And often we would have an entree brought out onto the table. We thought that was the main meal. But no, you finish the entree and there's more coming. It is impressive. And what makes me laugh is the reactions from non-Lebanese backgrounds. I can speak for Australians, for example, when they see the meza, they think, oh, that's all for dinner. That's everything. (laughs) And then they see the mains and all the chickens and the meats and the seafood. And it just keeps going on and on and on. But I think it speaks to our personalities as Lebanese people as being generous and giving and very welcoming. With that being said, everyone there predominantly speaks Arabic. Some speak French, some speak English. Now, you are currently living in France and you've learned the French language and obviously you speak English. How was it like speaking and communicating with the Lebanese people there? I would say we encountered three different kinds of groups. So you have the very young generation, I would say up until about 25 years old, who are fluent in French, English and Arabic, three languages already. It's incredible. We met a 10 year old kid who's already speaking three languages. I mean, where else in the world do you see this? And fluently, by the way. So, and then you have the middle-aged people who I found, obviously they speak very good Arabic and French and English is their third language that's at an intermediate level. And the third group of people you have are the very old people in the village who only speak Arabic. So we had an interesting experience. Thankfully, we could communicate with the young ones and the middle-aged ones in English or French. But then with my grandma's brother, we had to get the young ones to translate what we wanted to say to our uncle in Arabic. And I'm happy that I've spent the past few months learning French. I still have a way to go, but I was able to communicate. And I think I would have been really lost if I just had English behind me because French is actually more common than English over there. So that was a blessing that we could communicate with more people. For anyone who's interested in traveling to Lebanon, it's a good note to make that uh, Lebanese usually speak three languages and there's always a way to communicate, even if it's not through words. We are a very expressive culture, undeniably. Mm -hmm. It's a special experience for anyone who goes to Lebanon. I wanted to ask you about (gasps) Ashta and I wanted to ask you about Now, for those listeners who are not very familiar with Buzitselim, it is an incredible ice cream place in Kispa. 
And it used to be like the social hub where everyone would just gather around. It's been there since my parents were very young and probably even before then. We're very fortunate that it's still up and running. So I want to ask you, Rebecca, what was your experience and what did you think about the ice cream? Oh, this experience was overwhelmingly positive. And I want to thank you and your mom for recommending this place to us before we went. You know, when we got in the car on the way from Beirut up to Bahalion, obviously I wasn't thinking about the ice cream because there was so much to take in from every corner you looked at. So my mind was focused on other things. But then my dad's cousin in the car, as we approached Kuzba, he said, oh, do you both like ice cream? And we said, yes, we love ice cream. He said, we're going now, Kuzba, Kuzba. It's the city of ice cream. And immediately I remembered that you told me and he had taken us to the same place. So this place must be very popular amongst the locals. And you're right, unfortunately, because of COVID, it's not the social hub it might have been. It was before, uh, but you can still go in there and get a beautiful ice cream. You can even stand in there and eat your ice cream or go outside and sit on the steps the Ashda was beautiful. It was the first time I tried this ice cream. As I describe in my YouTube video, it's a very chewy kind of ice cream. It doesn't melt easily in the sun or in hot temperatures. I think it's made out of clotted cream. And then this cafe in particular coats the ice cream in crumbled pistachios. Yum. So it was I'm getting delicious. hungry Thank just you, listening Ellie. to that. <laughs> I know, me too. I want to go back to this with the ice cream. And I will say that I wasn't very hungry, so I selected the second smallest size. And Ellie, yes. I thought it was going to be small. The ice cream was like the size of my hand plus a cone. Yes. Yeah, very generous. Very generous, as we were just saying, <laughs> even with their ice cream, they come in big portions. I'm glad you liked it. Ashta is one of my favorite from Buzit Selim, but they do have an incredible selection of other ice cream. And uh, I'm not so familiar with this, but maybe one of the listeners can let me know whether Buzit Selim is a franchise or whether it's just a one hot shop in Kispa. Was there a moment in Lebanon that was so bizarre or really gave you a culture shock? <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I can think of two right away. <laughs> Actually, in Villa, the village, there is a guy who rides a donkey and that <laughs> is his mode of transport. How cool is that? I, I think I know of him. <laughs> <laughs> so this was a bit bizarre, but really cool at the same time. And I suppose the second thing we've touched on a little bit, but just how hospitable and beautiful the kids are. I mean, we have a 10-year-old cousin in the village who was telling us to sit down, don't move, I'll do it. <laughs> I mean, 10 years old and they're already, you know, wanting to take the lead and treat their guests in the right way. I thought that was beautiful. I haven't experienced a 10-year-old that mature. You know? It really is a very interesting point that you raise and something that I also recognized when I went to Lebanon, how mature children are. I think when I was 10, I was, I don't know what I was doing. I was climbing the roof. I was jumping off the balcony and going to Lebanon. I mean, the coin has two sides in one way. It's really incredible to see how amazing these kids are and having conversations with them like they're adults. They know so much and they hear so much from their environments and their families and their parents. And I think it's amazing to see that maturity. And then on the other hand, there's been an instance where I've had political discussions with 
10 year olds, 11 year olds, cousins of mine, they're talking about politician this and politician that. And I think to myself, it's important that children live their age. You know, those type of topics come in the future. There's a stage and time and place for everything. And I hope that the Lebanese children in Lebanon are not growing up too quickly. And given the circumstances that they live through and the unfortunate, the problems that can occur in Lebanon, I worry that kids are growing up too fast and they're not enjoying their childhood. That's a fantastic point you raise. And I think we experienced this exactly. We were talking with kids between 10 and 15 years old, but it felt like we were talking with 50 year olds who are highly educated beings and know probably a bit too much about the world around them. However, I'm happy to say that we also saw these exact same kids with big smiles on their faces and every day they were at their grandparents' house. They were out there playing with the grapes. They were so proud to show us around their apple trees and their fig trees. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword, but I do too hope that they are enjoying their youth. They are the future of Lebanon and there's so much talent, there's so much skill, there's so much positivity in their eyes and we can only hope that that will be the future of Lebanon. Yesterday you published a YouTube video of your experience in Lebanon and my first impression of it even though I watched it multiple times I sat with the family (laughs) by myself because I felt like the way that you produced the video was so raw it was so close to the reality of Lebanon, the beautiful landscapes, the beautiful people, the beautiful experiences. And you really portray Lebanon in a very real human way. It's not idolized. It's not covered with filters and glamorized. I think the nature of it is beautiful on its own. Why was it important for you to capture these moments and share this side of Lebanon. Thank you for your comments on my video. That's very beautiful. And that's definitely what I had hoped to achieve in producing this video. It was important for me to capture these images because it was the first time that I'd been to Lebanon. It was the first time that I'd been able to meet family after years of wanting to. Even when I told some people within my own close circle, you know, I'm going to Lebanon, the reactions I got were at times very discouraging and made me feel like I wouldn't come out alive. And that upset me, it disappointed me. And in this video, I wanted to prove everyone wrong that had those thoughts. I want to show the world how beautiful Lebanon is. It's not what you might think. There's a lot of beauty in the country. And I think through YouTube is a great way to to share these images. You're right, there's no filters. It was just me with my phone, Vincent as well, our family, the food, the landscape. That was it and a bit of music. And I'm probably the one who's watched it the most times. I sit here and I'm just watching it. I think it's a really beautiful video and I hope everyone gets a chance to see what Lebanon is actually like. And as I said before, I'm going to link this video to my social media and my pages for everybody to check it out because I think it's definitely worth checking. And I think also having that Australian influence and having that Lebanese influence, I like to see it as some type of bridge. You bridge the two different worlds together and produce this video for everyone.
Rebecca, do you have any final comments, things you'd like to say? Uh, I want to thank you, Ellie, so much for having me on this show. I feel very honored to be one of your guests. My honor. Truly. And I hope all of the listeners here are inspired to go to Lebanon. If you haven't been and you, you've been thinking about it, listen to my words and go. <laughs> go, 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 go. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for everything. And with your video, I hope you continue to shine your light on many, many more people around the world. Thank you, Ellie.